Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Good morning, everyone. And welcome to Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now on our 30th episode. I hope everyone enjoyed our Fiber Connect conference in Nashville last week. It was absolutely amazing to see a sold out audience and all the energy and excitement in the industry. You know, it's clear that something very special is happening and we all have the opportunity to make a significant impact with digital equity that will benefit generations to come. In Washington, the Senate spent the weekend in a marathon session finalizing the text for the $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill that includes $65 billion for broadband. The language in this bill for broadband aligns with our efforts. We are seeing some efforts at amendments that we are keeping a careful eye on. Uh, We anticipate that Schumer will bring the bill to a vote this week, so we'll see what happens. But so far, so good. I'm very excited about today's Fiber for Breakfast session with my good friend, Ken Koh. We'll be discussing how future fiber technologies will affect networks of tomorrow. And again, good morning and welcome everyone. I'm Gary Bolton, the president and CEO of the Fiber Broadband Association. Last time we met with Jamie Linderman from Omnia and discussed her latest research and forecast on Fiber the Home Pond. And I was surprised to find that we had reached the tipping point this year where we're now shipping more 10 gig symmetric XGS pond than G pond. And that trend is accelerating. This morning, we're gonna be speaking with Ken Coe, the managing director of the Broadband Forum. We'll be discussing why service providers should be thinking today about how future fiber technologies will affect their network tomorrow. Ken Coe brings to the Broadband Forum 40 years of experience in communications technology and having developed multiple generations of voice frequency and broadband modems for companies like Paradigm, AT&T, Rockwell, and Adtran. His engineering work provided the foundation for over 25 years working as an industry expert with the Broadband Forum and numerous other standards organizations, as well as with the FCC, Ofcom, and other regional regulators. Ken has authored hundreds of uh, contributions and articles you know, Ken, you didn't include BTAG. Ken was a great editor in BTAG, so Broadband Internet Technology Advisory Group. So um, but anyway, he's contributed tons of articles, um, has edited industry standards and reports, and has spoken numerous of times at industry conferences. He holds a bachelor and master's degrees from Georgia Tech and the University of South Florida. So welcome, Ken. Hi, thank you, Gary. And uh... Before I get started here, I guess I want to uh, say how much I enjoyed being at Fiber Connect last week. Uh, it was a uh, really great event and uh, found it very, very worth being there and talking with people. It was so, definitely awesome. Yeah. So for our audience, please type any questions as you go in the Q&A and we'll get to that at the end. So over to you, Ken. All right. Thanks. Okay. Uh, so. Let's go ahead right into the next slide. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the agenda for today. Um, I want to kind of split this up mostly into two parts. Uh, spend the first part talking a little bit about uh, the requirements that we're going to see on 
fiber technologies going forward and um, the technologies that are coming down the pipeline from different organizations to um, fulfill those requirements. And then we'll switch gears a little bit and talk about some of the use cases uh, that, that are really kind of wide ranging that are enabled uh, or at least facilitated by the kind of performance that fiber technologies are offering. And finally, we'll just touch on the things that operators should be thinking about today to be able to take advantage of those technologies and those use cases going forward. Let's go right in to the kind of requirements that we're seeing. Um, and this, uh, just, just to give you an example of why we need to be talking about new generations of fiber technology, here's what the situation looks like going forward for GPON. Now, as you know, GPON's been widely deplo deployed for years. Um, but uh, taking a look at this graph, if we look at the blue lines on that graph, they show the projected aggregate usage um, that we would get on a 32 subscriber split GPON um, going forward from year to year. Uh, two lines, one showing moderate growth in usage, um, the higher line showing um, more um, heavy growth in usage. And I'm gonna tell you something, I, if I was planning a network out, I would be paying a lot more attention to the heavy growth line because it is, uh, I think, more consistent with what uh, I've actually seen and what I've seen documented from multiple sources in years past, not even to mention last year's pandemic and the huge bump in growth uh, in usage that we saw last year. But compared to those blue lines, uh, if we look at the top dotted green line, that shows the capacity of the GPON. And while neither of those growth lines is hitting the basic capacity of the GPON, that's not the important line. The important line is the lower green line, which shows the capacity minus the amount of headroom that you have to leave in reserve on the pond over and above the usage that users are applying in order uh, to, to, to actually meet the performance that you're advertising to users for a gigabit service. You have to leave that gigabit in reserve. And let's face it, when it comes to applications where users are using that full gigabit of, of capacity, the most frequently used application is a speed test. And when users use that speed test, they get a direct indication of what their performance is. And if you haven't left that full gigabit in reserve, you will probably hear about it from them. So, Given that fact, and given the gigabit that you have to leave and reserve on a, in a GPON, if you look at heavy usage, uh, we may start seeing GPON exhaustion on a 32 subscriber split as early as 2023. So GPON, depending on your network design, on the services that you're offering, may or may not have um, you know, several years of life left to it going onward in the decade. As Gary mentioned, we are now starting to see widespread deployment of XGS pod. And I'm glad to see that uh, because we've got four times the capacity on it. We're now talking about close to uh, 10 gigabits capacity once you take the overhead off uh, um, as opposed to um, two and a half gigs. So that's a big improvement, but we also have to consider that service rates 
are going to be steadily increasing over the years. So now if you look at um, not only at the usage that subscribers will apply, and now we're talking about with XGS Pond, most frequently a 64 subscriber split rather than 32, we have to also look at the headroom that you may need to leave for two and a half gigabit service or even for five gigabit service. And as you can see, once you get to those higher levels of service, the amount of, and the amount of headroom you have to leave for them, you may or may not get to the end of the decade before you reach exhaustion with XGS Pond. And, and, and actually, as you see on this graph, you will probably get to the end of the decade if you are just looking at consumer services. A lot of operators are looking at converging uh, those consumer services with business services, and that throws another uh, level of requirement onto this, um, as well as as well as other convergence uh, opportunities. So we really have to start considering um, new pond technologies in the not very distant future. Now, of course, the last couple of slides focused on surface rate and capacity. But I want to emphasize that there are many aspects well beyond uh, to performance, well beyond speed, even if it's the first thing we usually talk about. Uh, before we turn away from speed, the first, the, the single number that we usually use when we talk about it is the downstream speed. Well, what about upstream? Is a given technology symmetric or is the upstream speed lower than the downstream? This can be important for business services. It can be important for wholesaling transport. It can even be important for residential applications, like for instance, home security uh, cameras, which in some cases can stream a lot of data up into the network on a continuous basis. So that's another thing to think about. Uh, we have latency, both in terms of packet delay and jitter, and that's absolutely critical to a number of applications and, and many users are just as aware of latency as they are of speed. Just ask any gamer, or if you're a service provider, you probably don't have to ask because they've told you in no uncertain terms. Um, beyond applications like gaming and VR, latency becomes critical for many of the use cases that are associated with 5G, in particular with some of the mobile transport uh, use cases that we'll talk about in a few minutes. Timing and sync are fundamental parameters for mobile transport use cases. Reliability and availability, of course, they're basic requirements that are affected by every element in the network, not just the ponds themselves. Uh, finally, there are a multitude of issues that are related to security. At the lower layers, uh, due to its nature as a shared transmission medium, security and privacy and, and the user plane have been a built-in feature for pond networks for years. Um, as providers offer increasingly sophisticated services, we're also seeing service requ uh, security requirements playing out in multiple dimensions, not only with um, regard to basic features like encryption and AAA, but also uh, in the age of hacking and ransomware that we're living in with regard to threat mitigation, uh, especially for small business and work at home offerings. All right, now that we've talked about requirements, Let's turn uh, to the technologies that are helping to meet those requirements. And I'm once again going to focus on downstream speeds in this graph just uh, because uh, it's, it's the simplest way to present them, but we won't ignore those other aspects of performance later on. There are two 
main standardization bodies that specify PON technologies. Uh, one is the IEEE that specified multiple generations of EPON, the other being the International Telecommunications Union, or ITUT, with its GDOT series of recommendations. And the capacities specified by both of these organizations have mostly run parallel to each other over the years, and they continue to. In the first generation that you see back in, in, in the mid-aughts, uh, ITU and IEEE uh, came out with EPON and GPON, respectively, with EPON at one gigabit uh, downstream and uh, GPON at two and a half gigabits downstream and half of that going upstream. Several years after that, IEEE and ITU both came out with 10 gigabit PONs, 10 gig EPON and XGPON. Now, more recently, <clears throat> excuse me, the ITUT approved two technologies. Uh, one being NGPON2, which supports up to 40 gigabits aggregate over four different wavelengths, and XGSPON, which supports 10 gig in both directions. Now, XGSPON is actually based on the same technology as NGPON2, but without the multi-wavelength features, so it can be offered uh, more cost-effectively. Now, all of these generations of PON that I've just talked about um, have have been deployed, um, especially XGS PON. We're starting to see mass deployment. Um, now, let's talk about some of the new technologies that are just now being available, or, or that are still a little bit over the horizon. Um, the ITUT is in the final stages of approving a 50 gig PON. Um, that's G.9804 that runs over a single lambda in each direction. Now, the initial recommendation, which may be approved later this year, supports 25 gigs upstream with a, uh, with a symmetric version for future study. IEEE has recently approved a 50 gig EPON as well, which runs over two wavelengths at 25 gigs each. Now there's an interesting third version um, that supports 25 gig symmetric. It's been specified not by either of these organizations, but in a multi-source agreement between a fairly large group of vendors and service providers. The 25GS PON spec, which was published late last year, is based on a single wavelength of the IEEE 50G PON at the physical layer. And it adds the ITU style layer, uh, transmission convergence layer on top of that, so it'll interwork with existing telco operators management systems. So these are the offerings that we are going to see in the near future for increasing PON performance. Beyond that, looking a little farther out, both IEEE and ITU are, are developing, what, uh, developing what they're calling super PON technologies that will support up to 160 gigabits aggregate over as many as 16 wavelengths. And there's yet another development that targets uh, mobile front hall in particular that I'll talk about later. So there's no shortage of innovation or bandwidth looking forward with PON technologies. Now let's switch gears a little bit and turn from the PON technologies to what we can do with them. The first case we're going to look at has to do with 4G and 5G transport and uh, and and X-Hall. Uh, 
Um, this isn't just, of course, of interest to mobile operators because regional operators who have the right assets deployed may have the opportunity and may be in a good position to wholesale some or all of these services to mobile operators, whether or not the regional operators themselves are offering mobile services. Now, the first case we look at here is backhaul for 4 and 5G mobile networks, specifically, especially for small cells, and especially as you start to deploy ponds with higher capacity that can support the requirements of multiple cells over the pond. But since uh, uh, mobile op uh, networks are being deployed in different architectures, including some that distribute radio processing between multiple elements, like you see in this picture, where you have centralized units, distributed units, and even radio units that may be in different locations, uh, um, there may be opportunities for mid-haul and even front haul with regard to mobile transport. But as you get closer to the radio, out farther to the end of the wired network in a distributed architecture, the XL transmission requirements get significantly more stringent. Required capacity, for instance, can be much higher for front haul than it is for either mid haul or back haul. Instead of being dependent on the volume of user traffic, front haul becomes much more dependent on the properties of the radio channel. So for instance, as channel bandwidth or the number of MIMO streams increases, the front hall needs increase proportionally. Latency also becomes an issue for both mid hall and front hall. While millisecond delays are acceptable for back hall and to a lesser extent for mid hall, you need a couple orders of magnitude improvement under 100 microseconds to provide front hall services. Timing and synchronization also come into play at these two transmission points. As you can see, the requirements are in the low single digits uh, for microseconds for both mid hall and for front hall. Finally, the requirements uh, um, for timing and synchronization come into play. I'm sorry, I, I mentioned that already. So as you can see, the requirements for front hall become pretty stringent in a number of different categories. So much so, in fact, that a new version of PON is under deployment in the ITU specifically for the front hall use case, G9802. This is a WDM PON with up to 40 wavelengths that will use wavelength routing instead of wavelength independent optical splitting. So it actually requires changes in the ODN as well as in the optical transceivers. Transport isn't the only use case that gets associated with mobile services. In fact, um, wireless to wireline convergence may be just as interesting to many operators, if not more so. This has been a real ongoing success story with regard to collaboration between the Broadband Forum and 3GPP. Several years ago, Broadband Forum and 3GPP held a joint workshop sponsored by about a dozen large operators who basically sat the two organizations down and asked for a fixed mobile convergence solution that would let them finally practically build one network core rather than a fixed and a mobile core sitting side by side. Since then, Broadband Forum has been taking the lead on specifying wireline wireless convergence and has closely coordinated with 3GPP uh, with regard to their releases and liaising issues and requirements back and forth between the two organizations. The result 
has a lot of the elements that you see in this diagram and apologies for the level of detail on it. But fundamentally, this shows a number of different ways that operators can take advantage of wireline wireless conversions to simplify their network cores and to offer new services. Um, at the first level, you've got simple coexistence between the two. That's the status quo with the network architecture sitting side by side. But then at the next level of convergence, you can continue to use the full set of legacy functions in your fixed network, but then route them through a fixed mobile interworking function um, to the mobile core and take advantage of a subset of the mobile features that you can actually then offer through your fixed services. The best level of mobile convergence, um, however, comes when you fully integrate the two networks using an access gateway function. That translates or tunnels protocols to, between the mobile core and your wired access um, network. And this case supports both home gateways and new 5G enabled home gateways. Now, by, by deploying 5G-enabled gateways, you enable a broad suite of 5G features to your fixed services user so that mobile devices in the home have the same feature set as with, when they're tied to the mobile network. And the 5G gateways themselves are creating with a mobile creation path that lets them deploy components on a step-by-step -step basis. I'm going to talk very briefly about network transportation uh, transformation, pick up the pace here a little bit. Broadband Forum has been doing a lot of work on, on transformation, um, specifically with regard to virtualization with our cloud CO architecture that gives you um, great advantages with regard to scalability and flexibility in your deployments, um, and also allows you to abstract um, the um, nodal functions that may you uh, the nodal assets that may you may continue to have deployed in your network um, in addition to our cloud co um, technical reports and other specifications um, we have an open broadband project um, that uh, has created uh, multiple um, releases of a reference implementation for our broadband access abstraction um, and another closely related trend to virtualization uh, is uh, the ability to move resources closer and closer to the user, which has uh, advantages for both scaling and uh, performance advantages with regard to latency, since um, the closer you get to the user, the lower latency the user sees. And talk about multiple services that you might be able to offer. Uh, and and uh, as, as we saw last year with the pandemic, um, consumers need multiple types of services in the home. Um, there is a real need that's not going away now for work at home services, for learn at home services, for healthcare services, and, and these services have security implications. Um, they have reliability implications, um, both with regard to work at home, uh, um, learn at home, healthcare. Obviously, healthcare has strict reliability and security um, implications, sometimes latency as well. Um, so, one of the things um, that we are looking at going forward in the forum um, is how to implement these multiple services over the same connection. And, and one option for doing that um, uh, it ties into mobile convergence and 5G network slicing that allows you to offer different performance points over the same network. Finally, 
we've talked about new generations of technology and the use cases that those generations um, are going to support. When do we not need to start thinking about these new generations uh, and, and how do we start thinking about it? Well, certainly the answer to when is today. As we've seen, um, GPON is going to be in danger of network exhaustion before too long in the future. Even XGSPON is only going to have so much of a lifespan going forward. So we really want to think about higher performance points uh, um, in the network. Um, and, and we want to think about the implications that that has for the outside plant, for things like fan out and, and where we're going to place resources in the network. Uh, beyond that, when we start thinking about convergence and transformation use cases, these are significant um, transformation, as the name implies, is, is a, a significant upgrade to how you treat your network. And um, it's, it's, it's something to start planning and, and, and to start working through a migration um, today. Uh, so you really want to think about what your most important use cases are going forward, uh, how they're going to affect your network plant, how you're going to be able to migrate uh, from a uh, device nodally oriented architecture uh, to, to a transformed, virtualized, more scalable architecture. It's not too late to start working through those issues. So thanks. And I'll turn things back over at this point. And I know we only have a few minutes for questions. Let's go ahead and talk about that, Gary. Thanks, Ken. Um, so what I'm hearing is you're saying that GPON potentially runs out of gas in two years, 2023, and that XDS-PON potentially runs out of gas in 2028. That's, these all fairly, fairly close dates. In the worst case, yes, that's the, the, those are distinct possibilities and, and operators need to be thinking about that today. So one of the questions comes up is given these predictions, what do you think about uh, the baseline capacity of 100 megabits by 20 megabit that uh, the Senate is proposing for the broadband subsidy program and the infrastructure bill? Well, um, I think I think that obviously you have to consider a lot um, of different factors when when you're looking at at at, at baseline threshold requirements versus. Uh, versus looking forward premium rate requirements. And, and I don't pretend um, to know um, what the right threshold requirements are. I, I, I know that they're being defined very conservatively. And I know that they're not going to um, necessarily be sufficient for all of the use cases. Uh, uh, for instance, I think that 100 by 20 um, is, is probably not going to meet all of the healthcare or all of the work at home or learned at home needs um you know in, in in the full range of 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 applications um that those services that that users of those services might want to be able to take advantage of also know that, know that there are a lot of issues other than the straight technology issues that uh, uh that come into play and uh that's probably one of the reasons that i'm glad i'm a technologist and not a politician so um what do you think about i got a question here about um What's your view on the use of GPON for RDOF deployments considering a 10-year horizon? Well, I, I think that um, 
any operator who is looking certainly to deploy greenfield and, and even with regard to brownfield deployments um i think that operators really should be considering um xgs pawn uh at the very least with regard to new deployments uh xgs pawn is fully compatible with gpon going forward even if they're looking at brownfield um if you're if you're talking about deployments that you're planning today um or or, or doing you know from from today going forward um given the anticipated um exhaustion of gpon looking forward uh, i i, I I, I, I think that I think that that's a fairly short-sighted uh, choice, um, you know, looking forward. Um, and, and even XGS Pond, if you were looking at it today for new deployments, for for new, um, you know, uh, acquiring, uh, um, you know, for making for making new purchasing and deployment decisions, you'd really start to want to start looking into some of the new generations that are out there and, and then think about more than 10 gigs going forward. Yeah, I mean, you think about GPON, we've been deploying that for 20 years. So it's not surprising that um, now is probably a good time to, you know, that we're at the tipping point where everybody's deploying now XGS. Um, and then last question is, work at home may require dedicated point-to-point -point service at one to 10 gig. How does that affect network design? Well, that uh, really comes into play with uh, some of the uh, dedicated service features that I was talking about uh, and, and network slicing and variations on network slicing as they apply to the fixed network. Um, you're really going to want to be able to provide services, not just, you know, not, 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 just, not just a connection, uh, but real services that offer uh, the kinds of service level agreements that that work at home users and and the companies um, that are funding those work at home services are going to demand, and 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 that's where you really get into the, that multi-service connection, uh, multiple service capabilities that's going to be so valuable in the future. Well, Ken, I hate that we're out of time, but thank you so much. You know, we really appreciate uh, you sharing your technology insights and how the future fiber technologies will affect uh, their networks tomorrow. Next week, we're going to be discussing the rise of standalone broadband and the new home services bundle with Dr. Jennifer Kent, the Vice President of Research at Park Associates, as she discusses the shifting broadband buying behaviors and the impact on service revenue and operate, um, opportunities for service providers to provide uh, new service types to attract and retain customers. So you're not going to want to miss that. Thanks again for joining us today. And we look forward to getting back together next Wednesday. You guys have a great week.